You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Well, good morning, morning. We're going to jump into uh, some stuff today that uh, if you are in a relationship, will be helpful to you. If you uh, have uh, been in a relationship, it'll be helpful to you. If you are considering a job change, it'll be helpful to you. Uh, this may largely be helpful today if you're in a dating relationship. If you're married, uh, some of what we talk today may not apply exactly to you. But as we're in a family life series, we want to cover all bases. And we're going to talk about how to get over my breakup. Now, we all experience breakup in different ways, whether it's a, you know, going through a job change, whether it's a dating breakup, whether it is you've lost uh, a marriage or you've lost uh, a person, you're grieving that in your life. But we all go through different uh, ways. But there's a lot of reasons that people get married. There's a lot of great reasons that people get married, but there's also a lot of bad reasons that people get married. And so what a better way to start off today than to talk about the top 10 Bad reasons people get married. So, hey, give it up for our top 10 here. We got that right there in front of us, right, Matt? Yeah. So, uh, I'm married. Matt's married. Uh, and, uh, and we enjoy being married. We're happily married. But, uh, Matt, there, there's a lot of bad reasons that people just, they decided to jump in. Yes, there are. Yes, yeah, there, there are. are. A, lot, a lot of bad reasons. Well, let's start off with our top 10 uh, bad reasons to get married. Number 10, I'm having his child. That. Yeah, that would be a bad reason, right? Right, bad reason to get married? Yeah, not, not the best reason. Uh, although it might be helpful to bring security to the kid, but uh, not the best reason. Not always good. No, not always good. So, hey, number nine, it'll help me get over my last relationship. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that whole rebound. The rebound. That, yeah, that's, no, you not play good. a lot of basketball, don't you, Matt? Yes, I do. Yes, yeah. I do. Yeah. yeah, rebounds are important, but not... Rebounds are great, yeah, for pickup basketball, but bad for relationships, yes. Yeah, yeah, bad for relationships. Right on. Number eight, living with her is the best way to get rid of my current roommate. Oh. <laughs> That's it, yeah. That is one way, but yeah, not the best way. That's right, yeah. I mean, if you get married, I mean, Matt, you... Uh, you you uh, were in a dating relationship uh, several of them over the course of your life, is that oh, right? Yeah. Yes, I was. Yes, uh-huh. I was. And, I also uh, had a lot of bad roommates, too. Yeah, some bad roommates as well. Anybody yeah. out there have any bad roommates? Yes. Oh, yeah. Had some bad yeah. roommate experiences. I didn't meet my wife till my senior year of college, so that meant that there were several other roommates. Some good ones, but mm-hmm. yeah, I changed every semester. That's right. Yeah, you got to do that. And uh, it's the best way to, to get rid of your current roommate. I've had some bad roommates, and let me tell you, Getting married is not one of the better reasons. Good people, bad roommates. That's right. All right, number seven. Married people are never lonely. That's right, that's right. We would never admit to that, no. No, we don't. We never, never do. Right, number six. Uh, Name a better way to get revenge on my parents. Yeah. Yeah, get the old revenge wedding, and then you regret it later. Not top ten bad reasons, bad, to get married. Um, number five, I've got nothing better to do. Yeah, that's, that's definitely bad. You know, that's sometimes that reason. spontaneity kicks in for people. They, like, got nothing better to do. They just run off to Vegas or somewhere. Play video games or something. You that's know? Yeah. right. Yeah. We've got better things to do than, than that. It'd be better. Yeah. Number four, and this one I think a lot of us in this room would relate to. Number four. She's not bright, but she's so hot. That's right. I got nothing on that one. Nothing on that one. (laughs) Number three. Everybody else expects that we will get married. Right? You ever do that? You know, like like the the, the grandma starts wanting like, you know, mom starts wanting grandbabies and, you know, 
That's right. You're sitting around the family reunion. Everybody's asking you, it's your turn. It's your turn. Come on, let's go. And you're like, I'm not married, bro. Or grandpa. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) All right. Number two, I'd rather marry them than hurt their feelings. Go ahead and hurt away. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Hurting feelings is hard. It's hard to hurt people's feelings. It's a bad thing, but you know, never a good reason to get married over that. And top 10 bad reasons to get married. Number one in a word, millionaire. All right. Give it up for the band. They do a good job every Sunday. Thank you guys. Very good. You know, some of us have, uh, and all joking, some of us may have seriously considered a number of these or we relate to them, uh, so we might not have to go through the hurt of a breakup. Uh, as the song says, breaking up is hard to do, and uh, there's a lot of truth to that, and yet sometimes it's the, uh, the wise thing to do when you consider life, relationships, and the people that surround them. Uh, Sometimes we'd rather settle for the long haul than the hurt in the short term. And on the flip side, some of us have been broken up with. How many of you have ever had your heart broken? Come on, be honest here. Heartbroken, yeah, for me, sophomore year of college was a brutal year. I got broken up with, didn't see it coming. Uh, I was a little ignorant, was definitely in puppy love. And it was, yeah, that was a painful one. Uh, for me during that season of life. And, and we've been rejected, we've been abandoned, we've been broken up with, and few things are as painful as an unwanted breakup. Some of you in the room have gone through a divorce. Some of you in the room have gone through uh, an abandonment of certain sorts. And it's, there's few things in life as painful as some of those kinds of losses. In fact, uh, I love the Psalms because the Psalms describe the heart and the emotion that we can all relate to. Uh, Psalm 77, where we'll be looking today, if you have your Bible, you may want to open to there uh, as well on your smartphone, uh, whether you have a paper Bible or uh, whether you're watching on the screens. Um, There's just a lot that we can relate to in Psalm 77. The author writes this in verse 1, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. And when I was in distress, I sought the Lord. And at night, I stretched out untiring hands and would not. Be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. You ever have sleepless nights like that? There's times when you refuse to sleep. You just can't sleep. You're so troubled. You're so worried. It's almost like a little child lying in their crib, and their hands are reaching up, and they're like, pick me up. Like, somebody come rescue me and pick me up. And, and you're saying, God, just do that. And, you're, and your, your spirit, your heart is almost refusing to be comforted. You're crying out at night. Breaking up is hard to do. And yet there are certain times and certain things, particularly if you're in a dating relationship, that there are certain things in a relationship that you can't and shouldn't live with. If you have your outline today, you'll want that because there's a lot of information on there I think you're going to find helpful today. And if you pull that out, you're going to find out some major imperfections that you and I can't and shouldn't live with. Now, let me say this. If you're in a dating relationship, that's what I mean here. If you are already married and some of these exist within your marriage, then these are the kind of things you want to seek help on, seek counsel on, and be able to do some preventative maintenance on in your marriage. 
So number, well, not number one, but just starting at the top, major imperfections that you can't and shouldn't live with, acting like they have it all together instead of admitting weakness and imperfection. Like they just can't ever own up that maybe they did something wrong. Maybe the person you're dating is religious instead of spiritual. Like they'll do the outward act. We'll go to church, but then the rest of the week, the rest of the life doesn't look anything like a relationship with God, a heart that's tender, a heart that's humble before God. Uh, maybe the person is defensive instead of open to feedback. They're just not, un- they're unwilling to learn. Uh, maybe they're self-righteous instead of humble. Perhaps they apologize instead of making changes. Do you ever notice that that's what our culture teaches us to do? Apologize, but maybe or maybe not make changes. In fact, if you're a celebrity and you do something wrong, then they're going to ask you to apologize, and then they're going to have you go back to your own ways, or just they'll elevate you once again, set you up for potentially the next major letdown, right? But maybe somebody you're dating apologizes. Maybe they promise never to do whatever again, but there's not any change. They just are good at apologizing. Uh, Maybe they avoid working on problems. They just don't want to do it. They don't go there. Maybe they demand trust instead of proving oneself trustworthy. Realize trust works two ways. One is we need to have trust with another person over suspicion. But on the flip side, we need to be people who are proving ourselves trustworthy to the people we're in a relationship with. It works both ways. Maybe they lie instead of telling the truth. Maybe they're stagnant and not growing. Or maybe they're an addict unwilling to be in recovery. If they're an addict and they're in recovery, they're working on that issue. They're working on that problem. But a major imperfection you can't and shouldn't live with if you are in a dating relationship is with someone who's an addict but is completely unwilling to be in any sort of recovery. Well, how do you know? How do you know when should I make a split? When should we potentially break up? Um, Here are some things that are considered unhealthy in dating relationships. Uh, Number one, if you're attracted to someone who does not possess the character and friendship qualities that you need in a long-term relationship, like do not think that you're going to change him or her. How many of you married people right away, just being honest, how many of you married people thought, I'll change some of those things in him or her before you got married? Come on, be honest. Raise your hands. I'm the only one. There's, okay, there's a few more owning up to it. Thank you. And over the years, you have not been able to change that. I thought I could make my wife completely on time. And, and she's late this morning. So, no, she's at the women's retreat. But, uh, but you'll notice that, like, oftentimes uh, you just think, I'll be able to change. I'll be able to pull them alongside me. They'll own it. They'll adapt it. And while we do adjust and change and grow in relationship, you should never think that you're as maybe manipulative or persuasive or charming as you are, that you're going to actually change the other person. Number two, do everything possible to make yourself aware of the reality of the person. You ever see somebody who like gets in a relationship and they're so like infatuated and overwhelmed with the other person that they don't see like that person can do nothing wrong because they're just so in love. They're so infatuated and Anyone on the outside is able to see with objective reality where that person is in their relationship. Maybe you know, maybe it's your son or daughter 
Maybe it's your grandson, granddaughter, and you've watched them date the same person for years, but they're in denial about the reality of the relationship. Other people on the outside can peg some of the dysfunctions there, but you just can't see it. You're too close. You're too involved. So we need to make ourselves aware of the reality of the person you're drawn to and the relationship you have. So what are questions that you could ask in that kind of situation? Well, you can say, do you feel like the important parts of your life are being related to? Or is it just simply all about them? Number two, can you share most or all of your values? Do you have similar values there? Sometimes you'll put up with something that is a high value for you, but a low value for the other person, but you'll put up with it for a long, long time because either you think you can change them or you think because it's important to you that they will own that value as their own. But it's one of the things you need to really ask yourself when you want a realistic picture of your relationship. You need to ask this question. Because all the time people come and say, hey, we want to get married. And we always ask, well, are you, are you spiritually compatible? Are you both believers in Jesus Christ? And so many times people say, yeah, we're totally believers in Jesus Christ. But then we go to another level and we say, but are you? Is your spiritual commitment to being a fully devoted Christ follower the same? Because when you ask someone, are you a Christian? It means one thing to one person, something else to somebody else, right? They may say, yeah, I'm a Christian, like I'm American. I'm not, I'm not from you know, other parts of the world. Or they may say, I one time at a camp made some sort of decision, but I really haven't ever lived following beyond that. But I consider myself a Christian. I go to church sometimes. And other people are like, I'm a fully devoted Christ follower. I'm pursuing Jesus all the days of my life. doesn't mean I'm perfect. It means I have imperfections, but it means I'm still, my heart is committed to the Lord. And I'm going to pursue him all the days of my life question is, is the other person in that same place? Are you both having a spiritual commitment to being a fully devoted Christ follower? And are there character traits that you find yourself ignoring or denying or excusing? It helps to give, to ask questions like this, to give ourselves a realistic picture of the dating relationship you might find yourself in. In short, the real question is this, would you pick this person as a friend if you weren't dating, would you pick them as a friend? Because sometimes we end up finding ourselves in a relationship with someone that we might even consider, I'm not sure I'd, have, I'd put up with this from a friend. And yet you put up with it in the dating relationship. What do you do? Seek wise biblical counsel and make sure that you talk to someone else about these issues. Because sometimes people on the outside can see things that are really particular to you. They can see it with clarity. They can see it with wisdom. And maybe you are in a job situation, and you need to ask these same questions for yourself. It is, you know, not to just have blinders on, but to say, hey, am I in a job that's a good fit for me and my skills? Am I in a job that fits who I am? Am I putting up with certain things? Do I need to have difficult conversations? Do I need to address some things in my job situation? You might find yourself saying, how do I know when I should stay at my job? How do I know when I should leave my job? And these similar questions will help you discern in some of the same area. The last thing you need to ask is this, are you confusing longing for being in love? Some of us in this room are in love with being in love, which means we're not in love with a person. 
Some of us are in love with being in love, just that feeling, that infatuation. We're not in love with a person. And some of us in this room who are in a marriage situation, and maybe that marriage situation is difficult, you might find yourself in a place where you're finding yourself being wooed by our, our culture to be in love with being in love instead of committing and loving the person you're married to. Because love moves from the infatuation stage as it matures. And it is about commitment and friendship and loyalty. There is passion. But passion is not the main driving factor. Neither is emotion. You couldn't be long-term stable if you always stayed on the hive of infatuation. You just couldn't. There would be things that you would ignore. There would be things you wouldn't see. And God wants us to mature. Same thing in your spiritual life. Some of you are in love with the emotional experience of your spirituality. And is that important? Yes. Engage your heart, engage your passions with the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you're always depending on that next spiritual high to validate your spirituality, then your relationship's immature. It's not a heartfelt commitment that God, through thick and thin, through good and bad, from now and forever I'm committed to you, to being a fully devoted Christ follower to you and in relationship with you. To the point where when bad things happen, you're willing to say, God, lead me where my trust is without borders. Are you in love with being in love? What does a breakup look like? Whether you're in a job situation, whether you're currently married, whether you are uh, in a dating relationship or you've been broken up with, there are typically five stages of uh, what a breakup looks like, and they're right there on your outline. Five stages of breakness. Number one is awareness. It's like this reality. Wait, wait, they, there's something wrong going on here. There's, there's, you're just aware that, you know what, this isn't what it used to be. There's something that's wrong going on. There's an awareness. Second, there's doubt and confusion. You, you flip-flop. You start to be like, well, no, maybe it's not so bad, and then other times you're like, oh, it's bad, and then you, but you're flip-flopping back and forth, and you're just, you're not sure, you're just, you, you want to engage, and, but you might be doing a little bit of this, like, like, come here, but also go away, and you're, you're just doubt and confusion, and then what happens is you mark time, you're marking time, you're just waiting, you kind of know this thing might be over, but you're, you're not ready yet, then you begin to test the waters, you ever done this? Maybe we should date somebody else, maybe, maybe I should Maybe I, this job is not a good fit for me. What do you think? And you begin to, you know, start talking to different people, and you begin to test the waters out in different areas. And you be, what are you doing? You're testing the waters. You're trying to find out. Let me get some other opinions. Let me see if we get, and then finally get to a point where you just break up. And sometimes that's in good and responsible and healthy ways. Other times it is just awful. You didn't handle it right. Maybe they didn't respond right. Whatever it is, you might have just thrown your stuff down, quit your job, walked out the door. You might have given two weeks notice. You might not have. But whatever happens, you begin to break up. And in a dating relationship, sometimes you break up well and sometimes you break up poorly. But I got to tell you, if you come to the point where you need to break up in a dating relationship, there's some things that will really, really help both you and the person that you've been dating. Number one, if you're taking notes today and filling in the blanks, the kindest thing you can do is be overly clear in letting the other person go. Overly clear in letting the other person go. And this may be helpful. You might be sitting in church today going, why are we talking about breakup? And I just don't know if this would be helpful to me. And I guarantee you this week, 
Guess who you're going to run into? Somebody who's considering they've been marking time. They've been flip-flopping. They're testing the waters, and they might talk to you about a breakaway. You're going to interact with somebody who has just gone through one, and maybe they've just gone through a nasty divorce, and they're going to need some help. And some of this stuff on this outline will help you help them. Kindest thing you can do is be overly clear and letting the other person go. Kindness is not leaving open any possibilities where you intend none. Think about that for a minute. You know, like you're trying to be kind and you're trying to just ease the blow and you're trying to, and I'm not saying you'd be mean or cruel. What I'm saying is you're trying to be so kind that the other person is, is saying, so there is a chance. Like there's this moment like, so you're saying one in a million, so there is a chance, Right? They will hang on to that one. Kindness is not leaving any possibilities open if, in fact, in your heart you intend none. Kindness is having strong boundaries against communication or getting together for any reason. Weakness in these areas hurts a person because it delays their processing of the grief of the loss of your relationship. So you feel bad, so then you want to get together with them, and you want, how are you doing? And, and you're the one who broke up with them, but you're frankly not the person to fix them after you've been the one to break up with them. They need other people to come alongside them and help them out. See, the person who's broken up with will often be unable to see the obvious because of their grief and the hope that it will somehow work out. You ever experienced that? You have a friend and... They've been served divorce papers, and the other person has communicated things very clearly, but for some reason, they just, you, you're, you're listening to them, but they just can't see how black and white that other person has made it. Why? Because in their grief, they're sometimes unable to see the obvious. In fact, there might be, you know, you might have broken up with somebody, and uh, a little time has gone by, and they come back, and they're talking to you, and they're still hoping to get back together, and you explain to them clearly, listen, I'm already dating somebody else. And still, it's like, it just doesn't register. Why? Because they're in the grief process. They're in some of those grief stages. They still are hanging on to hope, even though maybe you're dating and committed to someone else. But it's hard. Breaking up is hard to do. Loss is hard to experience. And maybe... You don't know why, but maybe in your life right now, you can relate to difficulty in sleeping or in eating or concentrating or you have leth uh, lethargy, you're lethargic. Uh, you have a lack of interest or neglect or you have tears or anger, a negative outlook on life. And when you've gone through loss of any sort, these are pretty normal experiences. These are common occurrences when you experience significant loss. It's kind of like this. It's like, Breakup is like a death when the other person's still alive. It's like experiencing the loss, like they've died to you, but they're still alive. They're still there. They're still carrying on with their life, and it makes it so difficult. And the psalmist relates to difficult times in life when he says this in Psalm 77, 1 again. He says, I cried out to God for help. Let me just pause right there. That first statement is so critical because how many of us wander through the woes of life and we, are, we have not cried out to God. We have been talking to everybody else and we've been searching on the internet and we've been trying to fix it and we've been trying to do all sorts of things and take care of ourselves and the reality is you might not even have cried out to God for help. 
But at this point, the psalmist says, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. And when I was in distress, I sought the Lord at night, stretching out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. And I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. And then all these questions arise up for the psalmist that are questions that you and I can relate to. And I want to just encourage you, question God. He is not threatened by it. So he says this, I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated. My spirit asked, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Have you ever asked questions like this? Maybe you look back at your relationship and you're saying, I didn't do it right. I didn't honor God and maybe God's anger has caused him to withhold his compassion in my distress. And there's just a reality to the communication in the Psalms to ask good questions of God. He is not threatened, but it's the beginning process for us to begin to process significant loss. Well, how long is it going to be? It does just time heal? I've heard people all the time say, oh, well, you know, time heals. Not everything. If time healed, there wouldn't be bitter people, right? Time doesn't heal everything. But we begin to ask, how long? And people smarter than me have studied relationships and found out some things that are pretty significant about relationship. You might say, how long does it take to get over it? Well, typically, if you've been in a dating relationship, typically it's half the duration of the relationship. So if it was a two-year relationship, expect a year. Now, this is good to keep in mind when you're dating somebody on the rebound. You might be so happy that they broke up, and you may see it as your opportunity for, you know, to get close and to comfort them and to be there for them and, you know, whatever is you're hoping to maybe date that person. You might look back at relationships in your life and start to chuckle to yourself about just some of the ways you thought back in the day but typically half the duration of the relationship. And there are other factors that increase or decrease the amount of time. One, how long was the relationship? Two, how close you were. There's a big difference if you were married or if you were cohabitating or if you're just dating. And then how long you dated. There's a world of differences between those, right? Somebody who's been married to someone, it's going to be more intense and harder to get over the breakup than somebody who was just dating. If they were dating and cohabitating, one of the failures of cohabitation is that when breakup occurs, it takes a lot longer to get over the breakup. There's a reason that God says, wait, wait till your behavior matches your degree of commitment and then proceed. But don't cohabitate ahead of time because one of the failures is If the wheels come off, and when they do, the breakup period is typically longer, and the recovery period is significantly longer. And then you break up, or someone broke up with you, and you get some time has gone by, and you begin to date another person. How many of you have started to date somebody, 
and then all of a sudden out of nowhere in the middle of your dating, you panicked. How many of you did that? You just started dating somebody and then you panicked. Maybe you're sitting next to your spouse and along the way in your relationship, you got to this moment where you're like, oh my goodness, this is getting real. And you started to panic and you weren't sure what to do. And sometimes when you start dating again too soon after a breakup, you panic at the point. In fact, some people who, who start to date too soon after a breakup, they intentionally sabotage their new relationship because they simply haven't gotten over the one that they were in. Not fair to you, really not fair to the other person. Sometimes as you're walking through this, you just get so down on yourself that you become your own worst enemy, right? You get stuck. You don't seek outside help. You don't cry out to the Lord for help. You don't look to him for guidance. And if you do, you ask these questions, and those questions in your mind, in your heart, hit the ceiling, and they don't go anywhere, and it comes back. You just feel like nothing's coming back down toward me. You get stuck, and you're not sure how to get unstuck. Well, how do we do it? How do we begin to process a significant loss? Uh, when you hit an anger stage, I want to tell you something. You need to express it. God is not threatened. As the psalmist is crying out to hear, God, have you, have you forgotten to be merciful? Like, it, mercy is part of God's nature and character. Now, he's not so merciful that he's not just. He's going to be just. He's going to punish sin and wickedness. That's part of his justice. He's not going to be so merciful that he just cancels that out. But it's like saying, God, have you forgotten to be God? You, you can't separate that from him. And we ask, God, have you forgotten to show mercy? Like, to me, maybe you show mercy to everybody else. But right now, I don't feel like you're showing mercy to me. My heart is in such pain, and you begin to ask these questions. So express it. And I would encourage you to express it out loud. Some of you are those silent people who you just stuff it all inside and you don't let it out. Some of you write and you're going to just write it out and that feels really good for you. And I would just say even, even if you write it out loud, maybe read it out loud. What's the psalmist doing here? He's on his bed at night. He's crying out to God and he's speaking out loud. He's saying, God, have you forgotten? He's beginning to process these things and he raises a question. He admits the question that exists in his heart. Sometimes if we never admit the question that exists in our heart, we begin to hold bitterness against God because we felt like we couldn't admit to that kind of feeling. And God's saying, express it. Talk to me. I can handle it. Tell me what's going on. We need to begin to express it. Another thing, if you've gone through a breakup, I want to encourage you. If you've been dating somebody and you went through a breakup, uh, you need to clean up the shrine, right? Clean up your memories. Some of you have a shrine, whether it's digital photos, but some of you have a little you know, shrine of pictures uh, on, the, on the wall in your dorm room or in your, uh, in your house. And of course, this would be if you've been dating somebody, if you've been married and lost somebody, absolutely keep the memory of that person alive. However, we need to clean up the memories that send us into the vortex, that send us into the tailspin. It literally means take those things down and put them away in a drawer or a box and close it up. Seal it up. Because you're delaying the process by lingering over what was instead of engaging the reality of what is. 
and then make a clear decision not to over-reminisce. Do we remember? Yes. Do we never forget? We never forget. But we have to be careful not to over-reminisce. How many people have over-reminisced a high school relationship only to find later in life that, that they've over-reminisced it in their mind and they begin to reach out back to some person they were formerly in relationship with and it may destroy the relationship they're in right now? We make a clear decision not to over-reminisce. When my dad died of pancreatic cancer, uh, we'd be talking with my mom even like, two years afterwards and just say, Mom, how you doing? And she said, you know what? There's certain things that as my mind begins to, to think on these things and dwell on these things, she says, I, I just I take that thought captive because I know where it leads. And at that moment, for that vulnerability in her life, it would lead her into the vortex. And so what was she doing? She was making a clear decision not to over-reminisce. You make a promise to yourself that that relationship, it, it's over. That person's gone. It is finished till death do we part and death happened. If you've been in a dating relationship, you make a clear decision not to over reminisce. That relationship's over. And it means sticking to that reality no matter how painful. But at the time, there's always times that we can remember. But we got to be careful not to over reminisce. And so what do we do? If, if we're going to put all those memories away, if we're going to not over-reminisce, what do we fill that void now with? Well, the psalmist gives us some indications as he's struggling with his grief. says this in verse 10. So he's asked all these questions and then says, Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his hand. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display power among the peoples. And with your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and of Joseph. And the waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and they writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Though your thunder was heard in the whirlwind, your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters. Do you ever feel like you want God? God, please let your path lead the way through the mighty waters. Though your footprints were not seen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and of Aaron. What does the psalmist do? Replaces those memories with the character and the faithfulness of God. See, the, the psalmist right here was not there when the people crossed through the, dead, through the Red Sea. He was not there. That was years ago, but he's remembering God's faithfulness throughout history, God's faithfulness to his people, God's faithfulness in his own life. And then he says, listen, this is, you are the God who saves. You are the mighty one. You are the one who leads us. I can't see your footprints, but still you led me through this season. You're leading me, even though I'm on my bed at night crying out, asking questions. You're leading me. I can't see your footprints in the sand. 
but I believe that you're leading me. What does God lead us through when we've gone through a breakup? There are grief stages. And there's a lot of uh, talk about how people go through grief stages. And some people go through them at different rates and different order than others. But here's what the, five, the six common grief stages are. And I want you to just be aware of it because sometimes you, a person goes through a breakup, you go through a breakup, someone else goes through a breakup, and you try to get them all the way to rebuilding a resolution. And you, you're not encouraging a friend to actually grieve, that there can be and should be a season to mourn, a time for everything under the sun. The grief stages are on your list. It says shock and denial. Don't try to be logical with someone who's just gone through a significant loss. And there's the grief stage, just the heartache. There's blame. Do you realize that people who have a relative die in the hospital, and when they hit the blame stage, they often involve attorneys? They're not seeing things exactly right. They're in such grief, and they want to call a malpractice suit really quick. Two years later, they might not. They might not have done that. But where they are right now, that's what it feels like is the right thing to do. Then they go through forgiveness. Forgiving the other person for abandoning you. Maybe forgiving uh, God because that person passed away. Maybe forgiving yourself for your part in the equation, if it was a dating relationship or a marriage that fell apart. Then there's resolution. I've got to move forward. I've got to resolve that this is the way it is, and I need to begin to move forward. And then we have rebuilding. We begin to rebuild what we can, repair what we can, and move ahead with the rest. And I don't know where you're at today, but my heart is that you begin to look at relationship and realize that God is right there to walk with you. Whatever stage you're in or a friend is in, that God is the one who's right there with you. And I want to encourage you so much that God should be the one that we turn to, that as much as you want to carry and express and feel and you feel numb, that in that still turn to the Lord. There are times that life gets so busy that you just haven't had time to grieve. God understands that. He was busy. When John the Baptist's head was lopped off, When Jesus tried to get time alone, he simply was surrounded by crowds. There's this beautiful passage in Matthew 14 where the people come to Jesus and, and it just says that they came up and they touched his garments and they were healed. The only other time that that happened in scripture is a woman who pushed her way through a crowd and touched his garment, but Jesus stopped and interacted with her and had a lot of conversation. But after Jesus learned his cousin, John the Baptist, had been killed, all he could do was just sit there and people touched his clothes. And he didn't say a thing. And he was still healing them. Life gets busy. Sometimes it's hard to grieve. And Jesus understands that firsthand. I want to tell you something. If you're in a dating relationship or you've got kids who are going to begin to get to that dating phase, you need to understand and communicate to them something that I think is essential. It's obvious but sometimes saying it helps us get our mind around it, and it's this. Every person you date, 
will either be someone you marry or a learning experience. Right? It's either going to go all the way to marriage or it's going to be a learning experience. So challenge your kids. Are you ready to get married? Oh, you're not? You're in high school? You're really not ready to get married? Okay, well, maybe dating isn't the best thing to do right now. Maybe it's wiser to wait. Because every person you date is either going to be the person you marry or a learning experience. And are you in a place where you're ready to learn through it? And Jesus is good for all of us in our lives. Dealing with grief, loss, and disappointment are a part of personal growth and spiritual growth. God uses our hurts. He never wastes a hurt. It's part of our learning growth. But that growth should turn us to reach out to him and come to him. Refusing to deal with grief, loss, or disappointment will keep you at a point of immaturity, right, in your life. You don't want to get to the point where you're relationally paralyzed because of loss. But you want to turn to God and process through that and grieve and learn from it and grow through it so that you enter a new relationship or your future in relationship with God in a really healthy way. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, I want you to just think for a minute about your own life. Perhaps around the room, there's some who have blamed God for the loss in their life. Some of you are realizing, I, I internalize it all. I don't turn to God for my relationship at all. And I'm just asking you today to, would you do that? Would you turn to him? You need to realize, uh, if you don't know Jesus Christ in this room, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, that God took the initiative to fix and reconcile the relationship that sin breaks in your life. God didn't want you to be separated. He wanted to bring a relationship back together that had been separated. Sin comes in and separates you and me from God. And God says, I died on a cross to reconcile that, to pay my righteous penalty against sin and to bring you into relationship with me. And some of you, you've been going through significant loss, but you have done it on your own. You've never come to God. You've never given your life to him. And perhaps today is the day that you say yes to Jesus. And so just with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, if you'd like to say yes to Jesus, would you pray a prayer like this right where you're seated after me? Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. Today I want to say yes to you. I believe that you died on a cross for my sin and that you rose from the dead. And today I choose to believe that you want relationship with me. So God, I ask for your help and your healing. Today, God, I say yes to you. If you prayed that for the first time, would you just raise up your hand? Just hold it up real high anywhere around the room that today was the day you just say yes to Jesus Christ. We've got some people like to give you some information if that's you. Believers in the room, maybe you're a long, long, long time believer. Maybe today you just have to say, have I been engaging my grief with the Lord? Have I been involving him in that process? Have I been embittered against him in any way? And maybe you just want to pray today, God, would you use me this week to help somebody that's in a really tough place? Let me be your hands, Jesus, your feet, Jesus, to people who are without hope. God, I pray that, that the church 
would take what happens in here and make a huge difference in the world out there, that even this week, God, in Elk Grove, there'd be a sense of your healing and of your love because of what we learn here today. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the psalmist who would write out of their pain because it gives us words to express ours. We love you, Jesus. We praise you. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.